All right. Let's uh, bow in prayer one more time. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God and that you forgive us our sins when we confess them to you. You are the gracious, Lord. And we thank you that, um, that we can walk in your presence um, with confidence and we can come to you with boldness because of what you have done in our lives through Jesus. And we ask God for uh, your, your um, I, I pray God that you would speak to our hearts this morning through your word. Lord, give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I get a sip of water. When I uh, when I taught, was it last Sunday night? Yeah. Yep. I said that um, this today's message would be more uplifting than the uh, teaching that we had last Sunday night, which was on persecution. But um, it, it is an uplift, uplifting message, and because. The word gives us an uplifting message. Sometimes the, the word of God has to caution us and, and warn us. But in this case, uh, it, it's a message that should encourage us and challenge us. And, and uh, that's the way uh, I want to approach it this morning. Now, in the extreme northwest corner of the Texas panhandle, there's this little town called Textline. Now, besides being the hometown of W.A. Gris, uh, 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 Criswell, the late pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, it has an interesting but a small history. In the late 1800s, the, it was a thriving center uh, along the new railroad with a growing population. But within just a few years, uh, the main line of the railroad moved, and with it, most of the businesses left town. Uh, and so because of that, they, the town shriveled down to about 400 people. And even today, there's just barely over 500 people in that town. Now, one online description of text line says that it has a city limit sign on one end, a city limit sign at the other end, and not much in between. Sadly, sadly, many Christians live their lives in a way that's quite similar. For them, uh, their, uh, the Christian life begins at conversion and it ends in death, but there's not much in between. Folks, that is not, uh, Jesus never intended for our Christians to be that way. In fact, he said in the latter part of John 10, 10, that he came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And that's the title of today's message, Life More Abundantly. I'd like us to look at this entire passage of scripture John chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 
1 through 10. There'll be other verses as well, but this will be the focus. John 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they, talking about the disciples, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I just read from the New Living, Tra I mean, the New International Translation, but other translations word the last phrase in verse 10 this way. The, the New American Standard says, have it abundantly. The message says a more and better life than they ever dreamed of. The New Living Translation says a rich and satisfying life. But the King James translated, translates it, have it more abundantly. Now you can decide which of those you like best. In the meantime, for the next few minutes, I want, I want us to take a closer look at the abundant life. And we'll begin by considering, number one, the contrast of the abundant life. Does everyone have a copy of the handout? All right, very good. Well, there they go. Anyway, so the contrast of the abundant life. The, the contrast between the thief and the shepherd couldn't be any more extreme. So first of all, we should look rather suspiciously at the, the thief, A, the thief. Now, before mentioning the abundant life, Jesus speaks of the kind of life the thief brings. Uh, he says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, considering the context from uh, back at chapter 9, verse 40, the thief primarily represents the Pharisees, whom Jesus had uh, just accused of being spiritually blind. I believe the thief also resembles the false prophets and the false religious systems. This person or religion uh, might claim, even claim to have a unique relationship with Christ that others don't have. First John 4, 3 says that these people have the spirit of the Antichrist. So close 
to evil personified. The thief, as all thieves do, the thief comes to the sheep for his own special purposes. He comes with the intention of scattering or even destroying the flock. Jesus makes it clear that the thief is a threat to the flock, to the sheep. When he enters the fold, he seeks to use the sheep for his own personal gain. The thief is not the least bit concerned about the welfare of these sheep. In John chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Jesus gives us even more insight into the character of the thief. Look at it with me in verse 12. The hired hand talking about uh, the false prophet or whoever you want to put in there. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man, talking about the uncaring man, runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now then, the thief, the, uh, thief in John chapter 10, verse 10, may not be a direct reference to Satan himself, but you can be sure that the characteristics of the thief are quite similar to the devil. Uh, the false prophets, the false messiahs, the false religions, they all work under Satan's direction. Satan certainly does not want what is best for you and for me, having no desire to give you life and certainly no desire to give you life more abundantly. He only seeks to uh, benefit his evil schemes. Now, by contrast, let's look at the shepherd. What we saw in the thief is the exact opposite of what we see in Jesus, the good shepherd. He wants what is best for us. The shepherd wants what is best for us, his sheep. However, there may be times in our lives when we think what is god doing doesn't he love me well i believe the answer to these two questions can be seen the answers can be seen in john chapter 10 verses 3 and 4. look at it with me the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leaves them out when he has brought them out all when he has brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice does this sound like the shepherd loves and deeply cares for his sheep without a doubt he does the love of jesus for his sheep is beautifully expressed in the song written by Kurt Kaiser, which we'll be singing in a bit. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. With the Pharisees in Jesus' day, um, or, the, or the false prophets, or Satan ever love us, 
like that song expresses, never, never. He gave, he gave his life. Jesus gave his life. What more could he live, give? Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus said this about the thief in verse 10. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But by contrast, Jesus said about himself further down in verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He gave his life. What more could he live? Well, now I'd like us to consider number two, the source, the source of the abundant life. Jesus said that he is the source of that life. In verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life. In verse 9, Jesus also said that he is the gate, meaning that he is the only way that we can enter into eternal life. I am the gate, Jesus said. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. But Jesus didn't, uh, didn't come just so that we would merely have spiritual life, eternal life. Not just that alone. He makes it clear that he desires for us also to have what he calls Abundant life or life more abundantly. The good shepherd uh, wants his sheep, us. He wants us to experience life that is immeasurably better than merely the average Christian life. So I'd like us to consider now, number three, the prerequisite of the abundant life, the prerequisite. Of the abundant life. In the middle of verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. So then who is the they that Jesus was referring to? Well, in the context, he's referring to us, his, his people, his sheep. This means that in order for us to experience the abundant life, we must first be Christians. Now, here's where I give you some really good news. If you're not yet a believer, today, today is the day for you to turn from your sins and repentance and turn by faith to Christ. But if you are a believer, you can begin living the abundant life today. Today. It's God's desire that all of Jesus' followers live the abundant Christian life. Life more abundantly is not reserved for a few elite Christian super saints, not at all. It is a life that Jesus expects every one of his followers to live, every single one of us. Well, I'd like us to consider now, number four, the qualities of the abundant life, the qualities of the abundant life. There is uh, a visible evidence in the lives of those who are actively living the abundant <clears throat> Christian life. Um, 
It is a life that mirrors the life that Jesus lived here on the earth. Of course, we'll never achieve sinless perfection in this life as, as Jesus did. But folks, we should always strive to be more like Jesus in our daily lives. And when we do, the qualities that we see in Jesus's life will be evident in our lives as well. Let's say it again. The qualities we see in his life will be evident in our lives as well. When we strive to be more like Jesus. So with that in mind, let's see what qualities of the abundant life will be evident in our lives. Well, first of all, A, the abundant life is evident by our surrender. And Jesus is the greatest example of surrender. He willingly left the glories of heaven and he surrendered his life fully to the Father. He was fully submissive to the Father's will. We see that when Jesus cried out to the Father, saying in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. So in order for us to live the abundant Christian life, we must reach the place of full surrender of our lives to God's will. We must come to a place where we say to the Father, as Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And when we reach this point, we are well on our way to achieve, to, to living the abundant Christian life. So then intertwined with surrender is an obedient life, which leads us to our next point. B, the abundant life is evident by our obedience. When you are fully surrendered to the Lord, you will obey his will. When you're fully surrendered to the Lord, you will obey his will. As Paul describes in Philippians 2, 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We may face some difficult times in this life, and, and following Jesus may cost us possibly experiencing pain and sacrifice and even death. But there's no greater place to be than in the center of God's perfect will when you are walking in obedience to the Lord, you can, you will live the abundant Christian life. So now, intertwined with obedience is spiritual communion, which leads us to our next point. The abundant life is evident by our communion. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper. The kind of communion I'm talking about here is spiritual communion, a spiritual communion that takes place anywhere, anytime we are experiencing 
koinonia. I don't know if you know this word, but it's a Greek word in the New Testament, meaning basically sweet fellowship, koinonia, sweet fellowship with the Lord. And this is the closest possible connection that we can have with the Lord Jesus, as seen in John 15, where Jesus describes how it works. The metaphor of the vine and the branches describes how Jesus and his disciples have a unique relationship, unlike anything else on earth. Nothing else compares to it. However, there are two things that can obstruct the koinonia, the sweet fellowship that we can have with the Lord. The first thing that can obstruct it is neglecting, neglecting our communion with Jesus. How? By not abiding in him. The second thing that can obstruct our koinonia, our sweet fellowship, is by not bearing fruit in our daily lives. Uh, and when, when, we, when that happens, Jesus has to prune us so that we can have that sweet fellowship once again. But when we are in regular communion, communication, relationship with the Lord Jesus, praying continually, then the fellowship that we have with him, with Jesus, will absolutely be sweet. Sweet as honey, just like it will be when we're in heaven. Fellowship with God requires open communication, meaning that God's word and prayer must be a regular daily part of our lives. We must get alone with God every single day. We must talk to him in lingering, no rushing through our time of prayer. We must listen to what God's Spirit says to us through his word, and we must be open. We must open our hearts to what the Spirit is saying to us, and this is sweet fellowship, koinonia, indeed. So intertwined with uh, spiritual fellowship is a life of service, which leads us to our next point, D, the abundant life is evident by our service. So now in response to James and John uh, requesting places of honor, seats of honor in glory, Jesus said this in Mark 10, 45. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' life was a life um, of service. Again, we see in Philippians chapter 2, this time reading verses 6 and 7, who being in, ver in, in, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of of a servant being made in human likeness. In verse 5 of that chapter, Paul said, Your attitude should be the same 
as that of Christ, of Christ Jesus. Taking upon the very nature of God, taking the very nature of, of a servant. That's what we should be doing. Having the, the, the heart attitude of a servant. As are we being, are we being served more or are we serving? Well, Jesus was always serving. He was never being served. He was always serving others. And that's what should be for us. And your handout, you might see that there is a E, F, and G. Well, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> for the sake of time. But uh, let's move on from there to uh, number five in, in our handout. Uh, the experiencing or the way to an abundant life. After having seen so much about the abundant life, it begs the question, how do I get it? What is the way toward experiencing the abundant life? You know, it's one thing to talk about the abundant life, but it's another thing to actually experience it in our own lives. The, the abundant life does not happen automatically for every Christian, just as um, not every Christian is filled or controlled by the Spirit. So to answer the, the question, how can we experience the abundant life? The first thing is this. A, we need to confess all known sins. Um, there's nothing magical about it, but to confess all known sins. And we did that this morning, earlier in the service, as you were up here, a time of confession, time of prayer, meditation, reflecting on our own lives. But uh, confess all known sins. First step toward having experience in the abundant life. And of course, you know, uh, the John first John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness well I can tell you from firsthand experience that merely saying sorry God is not what genuine confession is all about I want us to look to David in Psalm 51, who you might remember was guilty of adultery and murder. But let's look to see him as the paradigm for genuine, honest, open, genuine confession to God. Listen to how he prayed in Psalm 51, beginning at verse 1. He said, he prayed, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse us, cleanse me from my sin. <clears throat> I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, 
so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. For me, verse 3 just touches my heart. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have sin. Just as David confessed his sin to God, sadly, after being prompted by Nathan, but still, we need to make sure that we confess every known sin to God. For without it, we will not experience the abundant life. We need David's kind of regret. We need David's kind of misery. We need David's kind of confession. We need David's kind of repentance. Well, B, let's move on. We need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 through 25, Paul gave us uh, clear insight in what it means to exhibit the qualities of the Spirit, qualities of the abundant life. Verse 22, Galatians 5, beginning at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, mm -hmm. joy, peace, <clears throat> patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no doubt. <clears throat> Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Those description, those words describe what the abundant life looks like. If we claim to have or to be experiencing the abundant life, but these descriptions are not descriptions of our lives, then we are living a lie. We're lying to ourselves. What do you think? Do you, do you think that consistently having the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in our lives will be a clear indication that we are truly, truly living the abundant life, and not just doing the best we can. Well, I'm sure that it does. Mm -hmm. Well, see, we need to follow Jesus every day of our lives. Now, Jesus made it plain in Matthew 16, 24, where he said this to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny him themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, in order for us uh, for to be one of his disciples, 
According to verse 24, we need to do three things. First of all, we need to deny ourselves. We need to stop looking out for our own interests. As Paul said in Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. A disciple looks out for the needs of others more at, as much as or even more than our own needs. The second thing that Jesus said in verse 24 is take up your cross. We need to consider ourselves dead to our old sinful way of living. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. A disciple dies on the cross, symbolically, meaning that his life is no longer his highest priority. I die daily. Maybe, maybe that should be on our lips. I die daily. Well, the third thing that Jesus said in verse 24 is follow me. We need to make a firm commitment of following Jesus. As he said in Luke 14, 33, he said this, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. A disciple does not consider his possessions his things, his life, whatever, to be reserved for his own personal use and enjoyment. To be a follower of Jesus means that everything that we have, we give to the Lord and we give to others. It's not just all about ourselves. That's the abundant life. Well, I want to close this message by taking us back to John 10.10. 10. This time I'm going to be reading the entire verse from the New Living Translation where Jesus concluded the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, talking about us. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give Give them a rich and satisfying life. And that's what the abundant life is all about. Jesus wants us, his disciples, to have a rich, fulfilling, satisfying life. What does this mean? He wants our lives to be so full that there is nothing more that we need or want. So full. He wants our lives to be better than anything we could have imagined. He wants our lives to be joyful as we have the experience of leading others to the Savior. He wants our lives to be rich, even when we see others with more than what we have. He wants our lives to be satisfied, to be satisfying with the sweet fellowship that we have with the Lord Jesus, no matter what, no matter what.
the sweet fellowship that we have. This is the way to experience life, to have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, as always, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. He means so much to us. He did so much for us, giving us life when we were headed for death. He gave us life. And we can offer so little to him in return except our love and devotion our very life. And yet Jesus offers so much more, far more than we deserve. He not only gave us life, but he also offers life more abundant. Lord Jesus, I don't know how much of that I have personally experienced, but I want it. I want it more, I think, now than I ever have before. I want to know the fullness of you in my life, the richness of experiencing more sweet communion, that sweet fellowship that we have, that we can have with you, Lord Jesus. We've seen so much in your word this morning, what it means to have the, to experience, to have uh, the abundant life. But we don't want to just walk away from this service, walk away from your word, from the mirror of your word, and remain unchanged. And it's so easy for that to happen. Lord, help us to find what we're looking for. Help us to be willing to respond as your spirit speaks to us about this. Help us to be uh, ready, ready to change as your Holy Spirit prompts us. Ready to repent if that's what it takes. Ready to Give up things that we hold precious and dear that mean really nothing in our spiritual lives. Lord, if we don't sense your spirit prompting us, then we know that the problem is much deeper than we expected it to be. In that case, Bring us, Lord, to the end of ourselves and to the beginning of the life that you want so much for us to have. This is our heart's desire. This is it. And we pray in our holy and precious name. Amen. I'd like us to uh, turn in your hymnal, if you would, please, to uh, number 513. I, I read a little bit of the words 
of this song. I'll turn it over to you just a moment. I read a little bit of the words to this song, but as I was preparing this message, I my my thoughts went to this song talking about the sweet fellowship, the sweet communion that we can have with the Lord Jesus. My thoughts went to this song. And so I'd like us to sing it together. But this is a, a prayer from our hearts to the Lord Jesus. Let's stand and we'll sing this song together. Oh, how he loves you and me. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you were preaching, Eric, that the, sometimes we think of the Christian life as something that is done passively. You believe and believe the gospel, believe Jesus, and that gets rid of the kingdom. But, and we don't, I'm not preaching that we work for our salvation, but if we're saved, there's going to be evidence in our life. Yeah. And the things that you mentioned there that uh, we surrender, we obey, uh, there is this fellowship of communion with him, that we abide with him, we bear fruit to the service. Those are all important things, and uh, I just really want my life to be faithful to this. This is yeah. really, really yeah. important. So, yeah. uh, I, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, not, I'm just going to close uh, Thank you for this time. Thank you for Eric and Sandy and for their heart and for what you're saying to uh, help us to be obedient to you. Um, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen. Amen.